Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. No. It kind of even sounds hostile, <laughs> doesn't it? No. Um, a bit oppositional, a bit defiant. No. Setting a boundary, maybe a bit of a more positive term. No. Um, definition, you don't know yes until you know no. Or you may not know, K-N-O-W, no, until you understand the yes. But who would have ever thought, all of that said, that actually saying no could actually <laughs> improve relationships, insights. Psychology Today, September, October of 2023, Josh Gonzalez The Hidden Cost of Saying I Don't Care. Stating a preference, even if you don't really have one, could be better for your relationships. Whether you're trying to decide on a movie with a friend or picking a restaurant with your partner, it often seems easier and more socially harmonious to express no preference and cede the decision to the other person. But new research finds that saying, I don't care, or whatever you want, could backfire in ways you don't expect. In a series of studies, participants jointly decided where to eat dinner, which movie to watch, or what snack to eat. Those who engaged in no-preference communication, that is, saying they'd be happy with any option, believed it would make the decision easier for the other person. But they were wrong. Being on the receiving end of no-preference communication increased the decision-maker's decision perceived difficulty and led them to like the other person less. Why? Decision-makers who heard, I have no preference, tended to believe that the other person did, in fact, have a preference, but simply wasn't disclosing it. What's more, they tended to assume that the other person's preference was different from their own, leading many to choose an option they liked less in an effort to compromise. Ultimately, decreasing their enjoyment of the experience and their affection for the other person. Expressing a preference then, no matter how slight, could help protect your relationships. But what if you truly don't care what movie you see? Remember that the other party will likely strive to make a choice you're happy with, says study author Nicole Kim of Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Making that easier for them by, for example, vetoing a few less favorable options can help maintain social harmony. And if you truly want to let them choose, giving them a legitimate reason to focus on their own preferences would help. Tell them they can pick the movie tonight and you'll pick next week, turning a standoff into a win-win. Josh Gonzalez, the hidden cost of saying, I don't care, stating a preference, even if you don't really have one, could be better for your relationship. September, October 2023, Psychology Today.
Now, the article really doesn't say that no. <laughs> it's the way to go about it. It does suggest, though, that eliminating options might then, with better clarity, help one to make a then mutually beneficial or adaptive sort of decision. In this way, at least the clarity part, <laughs> it helps clear it up. Gives you a reason to think about what you're thinking about. Gives me a reason to think about what I'm thinking about in terms of what I want to do. And then we can talk it out. Uh, even so, decision-making is really binary in that same sort of way. You posit a theory, a question, could be in that way a bit of theory. What if we did this tonight? Or what do you want to do? Uh, I want to go eat so-and-so. I want to go watch such-and-such. And then the other person thinks, well, if that's what they want to watch, if that's what they want to eat, but they're asking then me or telling me that, maybe that creates then an opportunity for me to say, oh, okay, well, that's good. Or, well, we did that last week or we did that the week before. It just, again, presents a bit of a back and forth that I don't know is entirely unhealthy where it probably becomes maladaptive or unhealthy for the sake of clarity or even building a stronger relationships. When you do that, a relationship or stronger relationships, when you do that, you have to be able to negotiate or there is a certain uh, technique or a certain measure of negotiation that has to be delineated, uh, how to go about it, it's practiced, in uh, relationships that certainly grow and are enduring uh, over a period of time, that's a good skill set to have. But I don't know that it has to be just limited to a relationship, a particular relationship, as with a couple of entities. It could just be in a more general way, anybody, there's always going to be two, the binary, the dichotomous aspect of that, dimension of that. But it doesn't have to be your person. It doesn't have to be an individual that you've had numerous conversations with. But it also does not have to be just for the sake of being oppositional. It really gives you a chance to express your true opinion. And with that, then, believing that most decisions are made with some sort of a question in mind or thesis hypothesis, uh, versus then a null hypothesis, <laughs> the idea that it could be wrong. We do then, I believe, when that happens, have a better sense of not only what we believe with clarity, or as in clarifying what we believe, but we also get a chance to kind of go back and forth and back and forth and sort it out, uh, thresh it out, as they like to call it. And counseling is like that. Um, people who are too agreeable, oftentimes out of certainly motive to please, they're very rare to say no or appear disagreeable. Um, they really don't give you much to work with. There's not much implicit in that, either in terms of investment of energy and time and resource and then showing value 
going back and forth and learning how to work with each other, showing, again, strength of relationship, value not only in the process of making a decision, decision-making process, but applying that or uh, in application, uh, using that, or as with application, using that in your relationship with others, you get the relationship grows. You get the experience of the relationship growing, the person as well as the relationship. But when we do that in counseling and certainly within the context of couples, that's a good thing. Of course, there's the other side of that, which I kind of started with that vibe uh, at the beginning of the podcast, the introduction. It won't work, though, if really all that's about is just being defiant. It won't work if all that's about is just being oppositional. It won't work if all that's just about the person really just doing the opposite or taking a stand or position opposing. That's what opposite, opposing, make that correlation. That Then that's presuming already an adversarial context. Now, there's some people that get there because of resistance. Uh, some people get there because the people, their experiences with certain people is that they're very selfish and they just want it their way. And that may be true. All of us at times are that way. Some people get there if only because that seems to be their personality and a way to control. And, and all of that may bring a couple, two people, to see someone such as myself. But that's got to be maladaptive if really the whole encounter is about growing the person as well as strengthening the relationship, then it would not be that we would tell each to just agree with the other. Don't do point, counterpoint. Don't do thesis, hypothesis, and then null hypothesis. Uh, all of that that goes into empiricism, uh, hypothetical reasoning. No, we want you to do that. Just change your motive or check your motive. And I'm also presuming that if they're coming to see me with a conflict such as I'm trying to capture or describe on the podcast today, then really it is a matter of changing motive. Do it with the intention of building up the relationship as well as adding value, I guess, to the fact that the individuals are really willing to bring something to the table. And in that compromise or learn the great advantage, the reward of compromise. Now, I don't know that that necessarily (laughs) agreeing is going to cause the other person, oh, no, the Chip and Dale syndrome. Uh, The other person goes, oh, let's do it your way then. I don't think that's going to happen although it possibly could. But once more, I don't believe that saying no has to be a deal breaker or has to always in an adversarial sort of context end in some destructive or maladaptive direction bent that takes you to destruction. I think it just means that two individuals have to be real and authentic and straightforward 
And, and then <laughs> nobody just doesn't care. Now, again, you might be in one of those sort of moments in life where there's been a lot going on and you just want to say, I don't care. But truly, or maybe it's just not valuable enough to you, but that's not really truly then. That's not really communicating a good, solid message. If you don't care, it's sort of like, well, I really don't care because I don't have any sort of, see any sort of value in going back and forth or learning to work together or whatever it might be in terms of strengthening the persons and then the relationship. And even so, as the article also points out, there may be those occasions when you really don't care or maybe you just agree. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with agreement. But the likelihood that when it comes to relationship, that the persons are going to be in total agreement, that's really not a relationship. You're not really relating. You're more kind of one, and then it becomes one-sided. Now, clearly, within clarity, within counseling context, obviously, uh, we want there to be as much individuality as there could be, and then it necessitates working together, and with that adds value, develops skill set, which is valuable, uh, a sense of edification. Uh, you can take some good self-esteem from that. I'm learning to do this, efficacy. And then, once more, builds up the relationship. But when you expand that to include more than simply two individuals, and maybe they're groups of people, maybe it's more than an individual now, it becomes more of a social psychology or sociological kind of consideration rather than individual psychology or a person looking at it or even a couple coming together, one certainly that comes to see me, it's probably a tried and true relationship uh, in that way, they're committed, this is your person, or this relationship is important enough enough to set down. And so you're maybe going to kind of begin to see the two working together at one as one at some level with that idea of unity in mind. But if you expand that, and the more individuals or persons that are involved, the more collectively groups are involved, then you have... A lot of room for further dissent and if there's not something to unify or bring some element of unity to it then you do run the risk of not only disagreement but out-and-out conflict and who knows some individuals may be better at it than others and some may have again a better motive and some may know how to check that defiant sort of spirit, if you want to call it that, or element of human spirit or human construction, they could actually end up trying to force or at least feel like that's the only way to get unity or to build up the relationship or the individual is just to get conformity. And I see a lot of that as much as I'm speaking more culturally now, sociologically so, broader than just the couple that typically shows up in my office to speak with me. But even taking it back to that sort of base, individual, two individuals who meet with me, 
to want to better the relationship level. Uh, control doesn't work there any more than it works on a societal basis. Uh, I think culturally, uh, healthy dialogue, differences of opinion, uh, probably in, for the sake of just simply brainstorming, is a much more adaptive or better approach. Uh, nobody has all the answers. No one singular perspective is the best. The best is when you get a multitude of perspectives put together in such a cohesive way that you begin to see everything as would come together in a more holistic sort of manner, and possibly so that for the sake of clarity. Not only does it tell you what you believe in or what you would want individually, it can also, stepping back, help you see what you've got collectively, and then... As with that, what direction you want to take it so that you can bring it back as you would or maybe does always naturally come back to some individual dynamic, you can bring that insight or that perspective or that awareness back with you. But I'm all about diversity and I'm all about brainstorming in sessions. And whatever seems to work as long as it doesn't at core violate some sort of, they're calling it inalienable, right? Uh, mutual respect, honor, dignity, individuality even. Uh, autonomy, agency, uh, clarity for the sake of then being able to share a common vision amongst two or even so a multitude of persons with a goal in mind. Maybe even Two have come from completely different worlds getting together. I think most of us, if I take it that direction, are, would say this is the ideal of social interaction. You can get along with people who think the same way you think, except the article seems to suggest that doesn't work quite so well. I don't want to go once more so far as to say disagreement is the only way to really experience the efficacy, the elegance that we're trying to capture. But it does mean a lot more when people from two different worlds seeing things in two different ways come together. It communicates affirmation and positive regard and good intention. And not to the end of just control or with that then oppositional defiant to the place of destruction. It's... Oh, okay, well, we can do this much better. We can relate this in some ways to not only this particular conflict, but it's generalizable. If we can get this skill set down, whatever the differences of opinion, we should be able to resolve them. Especially if that's the intention, is to make it better for everyone. I'm not sure how we lost that perspective or what's caused us to lose maybe not the entirety of it, but a certain measure of that, either individually or culturally. But it does seem that we're very selfish. We're in our selfishness, narcissism. Many people, if not a good many people, are so preoccupied with being right or having it their way, they can't navigate that. 
And though the article doesn't in any way take it in this direction, that kind of I don't care, that never works. So it's not the yes, it's not the no, it's not whatever you want to do, or it's not that if you say that, the other person believes that somehow you've already kind of said no, you don't want to do this. It's just allowing definition, once more for the sake of clarity, but for the sake of also knowing where you're going and then having some say or option to say what you want the relationship to be and what is recognizing its benefits and and seeing value in that. Those are really good (laughs) exercises. But if you're just, again, coming at it from the wrong motive and it's just a win, and truly it is just about control, then that level of I don't care, it's just as destructive as being noncommittal. Everybody has to have some say or it doesn't work as well. And I suppose that's the premise of some kind of democracy approach to it, if you want to call it that, democratic, or at least uh, autonomy, agency, independence, and the imperative that truly relationship means diversity inherently. There's going to be at least some differences. Perspective itself just sort of dictates that. But that we're about aspirationally so, something much greater, something much higher, something much more aspirational and important. And not only will it make us all better together, but we get to do that by also being true to ourselves. We don't have to lose the authentic, once again, sort of dimension to that. And being real is also one of those intangibles. Narcissism typically comes across as being shallow or maybe in some ways superficial or, or the person is kind of a skeleton only. But what we want is real. <laughs> we want authentic. We want genuine. And if we have that, I think we do have a better sense of how important. And maybe just simply for that exercise in in assessment, appraisal of value, it's worth it. Don't go out and get into so many relationships that you're going to have to sell your soul for. Uh, Maybe it is worth it, altruism. Being maybe the end of all that. But somewhere in that happy medium is let's just be who we really are and appreciate that we can not only get along, but we can make some adjustments and there's plenty of room for modification. But only so if all of us feel like we can say what it is that we want and who we are and then see how the two parts rightly fit together. And if it's more than two, the multiple parts rightly fit together so that we can accomplish a common end and all the great things that go along with working together. 
That's my hope when I work with patients either individually who come in for psychological counseling or as a couple or as a family. I want them all to feel like they're important. I want them all to believe that they have a say. I want them to work toward a common truth. I believe that there's more to be said for contentment. I think selfishness is destructive, a shell of a person. I think narcissism is nothing but concession to being or becoming or in that then conceding that it's just the superficial, the shell of the person. There's really not much substance, authentic, genuine. Uh, or if it's just one-sided, it's not then relationship. And with that, it, it's dismissive. It's invalidating. It's not good things. So as I'm working with patients, I don't want any of that. And as I'm encouraging couples, I don't want any of that. And as I'm working with families, I don't want any of that. So the conclusion would be is that no isn't always bad, but at the same time, no can be bad if it's always no and it just represents a reluctance or unwillingness to compromise or to be adaptive or to appreciate all of these things diversity-wise, different perspectives, how to go about that brings not only better, I guess, circumstances for everyone, but also improves the quality of the experience for everybody involved, everyone involved. But I do think, though, that uh, as much you might say no, it does seem to set up a lot of other good things. So be yourself, be authentic, be genuine, be real, practice individuality and autonomy and independence, practice mutual respect as inalienable, inalienable rights that we should all have as human beings, and then just see what great things can come out of it when you take two different parts put it together and step back and say, wow, this is pretty different. But not in a bad way. It could be different better. You might have some bad things and you might say, well, we don't want to do that again. But even so, for the sake of the creativity, most of us would say creativity is better than stagnation. When you're, <laughs> you're not growing, you're probably dying. Uh, or if you're dying, as everything in this world tends to have some end on the horizon, at least be creative so that when you get there, <laughs> you've got an out. Creativity does not, is not terminal. Creativity is just a chance to, when something ends, it's a chance to find something different, to sort of experience a change. And what's more, who would say that change is entirely bad? I think people who are in control and Maybe out of that, all of that comes out of the root of fear. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say no, but also don't be so afraid or noncommittal that you don't say yes or you don't say something. And even if it does risk a no or risk the potential in no for there to be a conflict. And generally speaking, when people come in, that's sort of how the threshing looks like in those individual sessions and couples and family sessions. But there's always good outcome. And we celebrate it. That's why we do the podcast. Encourage <laughs> to celebrate uh, growth and creativity and understanding a little bit more about how being an individual is not bad but good. And I still believe that most of psychology is about actualization, self-actualization. 
and the individual has to come first, <laughs> but society doesn't have to be lost or the, the ability to work together to the, the point of unity doesn't have to be lost in your individuality. It just brings about a better appreciation for what's important in life and what we value the most. And we can step back at the end of it and say, look, look what we've been able to accomplish and have that good self-esteem that follows. So, should anyone you know uh, be in a bit of a struggle, couples-wise, maybe with themselves, uh, but could benefit? Psychology Today has a provider directory that I would highly recommend, and uh, not only because my name's on it, but there's a lot of good names on it. They've all been vetted. You can make it geographical and search for a particular city. You can make it virtual and just find a provider who's licensed in your particular state, regardless of where their geography is. It doesn't matter anymore these days. Either way, as far as accessing help, but certainly look them up. And should you want to communicate with us and would want us to assist in any way, shape, or form, giving you some uh, information that might help you make the decision, not about coming to see us, but about finding the right person, how to go about that. Uh, we're even open to conversations, certainly open to conversations about the podcast and differences of opinion. I'd love it. Uh, you can reach me at 304-523-9673, 304-523-WORD, W-R-D, uh, D-R-M-D, Clay, at thewordhouse.com. TheWordHouse.com, and of course, wherever you get this podcast on whatever platform, you should find it. And even if you don't have a platform that you prefer, you can Google it and find us. We're also on Facebook and uh, YouTube at The Word House. In the meantime, though, until we get a chance to meet again, I do want to wish you the best in terms of not only health, in general, wellness, but also good mind health. And I want to say sincerely, thank you for listening.